0: Hi, this is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed podcast. Today I want to talk a little bit about uh, something we struggle with uh, in higher education, but maybe in services to people overall, this uh, sense of urgency. And how do we balance the need to plan with the need to act and, and trying to figure out how to move more towards action. Um, I'm just struck by that more and more. Uh, I have a local example here in the city I live in. We have a, a growing population of homeless individuals. And over the summer, our mayor came up with uh, the beginning of a solution and designated one of our parks as a safe place for them to stay, which led to a, what I think of as a fairly successful tent city, uh, which he always acknowledged was not a permanent solution, but at least allowed people a place to sleep safely, and uh, services were brought to them instead of having to try to find them or continuously harass them with uh, law enforcement. But it's almost November, and it's getting cold, and they have to figure out what to do next. And I was reading in our paper that they're working as quickly as they can on solutions, but um, it's a struggle. And I think that's true in so many things we do when we try to help people remove barriers or, or stabilize their situations. Anyway, it made me think of something I wrote last April um, called, The Patient is Dead. Earlier in my career, I worked for a vice president whose training was as a nurse. And when she would get frustrated in meetings at our college, uh, she had a particular way of expressing it. Now, she and I interacted mostly in Dean's meetings, which are often a place of much discussion and debate, but relatively little action. And when this vice president could no longer take the swirl and inaction, she would announce, well, the patient is dead. She meant that if we were this indecisive in her chosen field of healthcare, the point of our discussion would have expired. Now she was 25 years older than me at that time in my career and I, to be honest, found her mostly funny when she did that. But as I get more veteran myself, I understand her more every day. There is so much to be done and so often we choose inaction disguised as planning and deliberation. Make no mistake, that is a choice and it's a choice with serious consequences. You know, the same idea resonates with me as we seem to grant ourselves endless opportunities to learn, when in reality, we need to act. So I always think in stories, and I'm reminded of a story from my first year as a dean, which is about 13 years ago now. Uh, A former student had asked me if I could help him host an event on campus. Now, Duane was one of the first students I met when I started in higher education, and I really wanted to support him. So I opened up the campus, uh, we had a meeting room on a Saturday evening, and I attended his event. Uh, Dwayne showed a movie called Color of Fear, and he interspersed it with uh, guided discussion and reflection. It was actually a pretty transformative moment for me in my own work with equity and inclusion, but not in just the obvious ways. It was one of the first times I truly considered my identities as white, as male, as cisgender, and all all my other identities. I was having what felt like a revelation about my place in the world not being fully earned by my talents. And as we went into a group discussion, I started sharing my insights about myself and my learning. It was truly a powerful moment for me, but I could feel the irritation from at least one other man in the room. He was older than me and had been working in the equity and inclusion space for a long time. He was also African-American, which I think matters in this story. And at some point in the conversation when I was sharing my personal revelations, he let out a big sigh. Everyone looked at him and he said, you know, I'm glad you're learning, but I'm too old to keep waiting for all of you. I felt defensive and embarrassed, but I have never forgotten. He was tired of my need to celebrate my own learning, and was reminding me I should do the work myself, and he was reminding me that people like me needed to act. He was right, and I've tried to be more action-oriented since, in all honesty with mixed results. Now I work in an industry that's uncomfortable with a bias toward action. Uh, The structures of higher education are designed to be deliberative and slow. Maybe this was appropriate at one time, but it simply isn't anymore. In a world where post-secondary training is pretty much a necessity, we don't get to make people wait to get what they need. It makes me think of every time I reach into my wallet to give my son $20. Uh, That happens a lot, and I rarely think much of it. Now contrast that with the single parent at my college who was $10 short for her PTK membership, and the multiple emails that flew around my college to see if we had a program to help her. Now in the end, we did help her, but we ran a fairly, a fairly serious risk of the patient metaphorically dying before we solved the issue. And in contrast to my son, who gets what he needs directly, I will always remember what this student said to her advisor. She said, I know $10 isn't much, But when you don't have it, it's a lot. How many opportunities are lost when we make getting help needlessly complex? How many times could direct action make a difference? These issues are particularly crucial for students and people in the crisis of poverty. See, these notions we hold in the middle class of planning and delayed gratification simply aren't applicable. There's a story I often tell uh, when I do speaking engagements, but but let me add a couple extra details that I don't always share. In the fall of 2018, I attended a a conference called Real College in Philadelphia. Conference was amazing and one of the things that happened for me was I I got to make a connection with a gentleman named Mark Horvath who runs a group called Invisible People. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, the city I live in has a, a growing population of people who are homeless. And at the time, a number of them were staying in a park across from the college I worked for. Now, I've never been homeless, but I am super defensive about being dismissed for being poor. So I was bothered by the tone around town and campus. There was lots of discussion about solving the problem, but I didn't hear much about how to help the actual people sleeping in the park and using the bathrooms in our buildings. I wanted to do something, but I wasn't sure where to start. So when I met Mark, he told me, go get some clean socks, and then go out and offer them to the people that are there and start a conversation about what else they might need. So I did that, and it's a story I've told before, but I don't always share a lesson I learned in that about urgency. You see, the first person I met who would actually talk to me was a young man named Brandon, who it turned out was a student in my division at my college. After giving him one of my care packages with socks and snacks, I asked what else he needed, what else could help. Brandon told me he really needed a bicycle lock to protect his bike. I made a mental note, and a few days later I stopped at the local bike store, and I bought a high-end lock. I was feeling pretty proud of myself for helping. And when I went to see Brandon again, he was in his sleeping bag in front of the storefront church that he stayed by, and I tapped him on the shoulder and told him I had the bike lock. He was very gracious and grateful, and he seemed almost embarrassed when he told me his bike had been stolen a couple days earlier. You see, my timeline was not his timeline. He didn't need a bike lock someday. He needed one the moment I asked him what he needed. Poverty steals the privilege of long-range planning. I work hard to forget this crisis is urgent, and what seems like a short delay to us can be a disaster for someone in crisis. I've been very fortunate to present around the country on a regular basis on these topics, uh, around the country by Zoom in recent days. Uh, Certainly, if you ever want to ask me to come talk with your group, I love to do it. It's my favorite thing. Now, the presentations I give are evolving over time, and of course, they're targeted to each audience. But I always finish with a call to action. The first thing I ask for, and would demand if I could, is to develop a bias for action. I ask my audiences to move from if you see something, say something, to if you see something, do something. People avoid direct action for many reasons. They might be unsure what to do or have a fear of doing the wrong thing. I hope their inaction generally comes from good places and not just from indifference. Regardless, I have two pieces of advice as you try to move from paralysis to action. First, look at the outcomes your current inaction has led to. Is what you want to do likely to make it worse? I doubt it. And if you try something and it doesn't work, stop and try something else. My second piece of advice is to simply follow the guidance I was given from Mark Horvath and I hear echoed by poverty advocates like Dr. Donna Beagle. Ask people what they need. People know what's preventing them from getting where they want to go. Ask them what the barriers are and commit to removing them as fast as possible. Move faster than I did with my friend Brandon. Move fast enough and decisively enough that no one ever has to tell you the patient has died waiting for you to act.